0: Hi, and welcome to another edition of Safety Talks. We've got a great episode lineup for you today. We're going to be talking about masks and respirators. We're going to be looking at a variety of different um, angles on this, from who is the mask protecting to what should we be looking at when we're purchasing a mask based on the distributor supplier how do we know who is credible and who isn't i've got some great people joining me today on this conversation we've got burke shaw who's the president of GoSafe. we've got lisa nash who's the vp of strategic alliance program at thomas scientific and we've got kari asray who's the vice president of operations at safety stratus now, before we get started, I had a question about whether or not you have signed up yet to our Safeopedia Safety Connect virtual conference and expo. If you're coming, I'm so glad. I'll be looking forward to seeing you there. But if you haven't signed up yet, I'm going to ask you why, because it's free for you to attend as a registered attendee. There's no cost to you for this conference. So navigate over to industryconnectsafety.com and register and share it out with your network if you can, because we'd love to hit our mark of 5,000 attendees. Now, let's get into that conversation. Yeah, I'm really glad that um, everybody was able to come on and join to do this. This is very exciting. We had a lot of questions online about Masks, respiratory wear, and, um, you know, in the workplace or at home, what should people be doing? And so we're seeing a lot of incorrect information out there. Uh, in the
1: workplace, and that's primarily where I've been interacting with people on the use of masks, uh, there is a lot of confusion around what is acceptable mm-hmm. and appropriate. And so uh, we're guiding our customers based on use. Uh, so but to your point, we're following the CDC guidelines and the recommendations around really keeping N95 rated masks or the NIOSH rated masks for our frontline healthcare workers that are interacting with patients uh, on a day-to-day basis. So having that in mind, when the question comes up, okay, what about the rest of the workforce that will be returning to work? What level of coverage do they require? And that's where we have discussions around earloop masks uh, or, you know, also known as procedure masks or surgical masks. Are they appropriate? So we've got uh, really some guidelines that we recommend to people. And it has to do with whether you're protecting yourself or you're protecting others. And in the case of an N95, for a frontline healthcare worker, that mask is specifically designed and fit tested to protect them from the patients they're interacting with, but also to protect others if they were to be uh, positive with the virus. So an ear loop mask is a little bit different. And we're talking specifically about a three layer ear loop mask, level one or level two. And that has to do, again, with the testing that's done on the mask. And that's really meant to protect the worker from spreading their germs to others.
2: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I think that's really the key. Yeah, as people are looking at it backwards, they're thinking they're protecting themselves. And really just the face covers are to protect others from you being either asymptomatic uh, or being a carrier, Uh, or having the virus and and trying to keep that aerosol from getting out into the air.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point. There is some confusion where, like, what is the mask actually doing? Who is it protecting? And I think that that is a very good question that needs to be really um, answered for a lot of people.
3: And I think a lot of the confusion comes from, uh, because a lot of what CDC was putting out was uh, public health related. So when you look at public health, um, their cloth coverings, their cloth masks, um, fabric masks, uh, a lot of that has to do with public health uh, saying, look, if you wear these it'll limit you spreading anything to other people when you're out and about. Um, But there's still the time distance shielding, right? Which is if you're going into a place full of people, then uh, your, your time and your distance and your shielding is limited, right? Uh, wearing just a t-shirt. So if you're going into a grocery store for a few minutes, pick up some stuff, uh, it, it'll work well. Uh, but if you're going into like an office setting uh, and you're gonna be there for eight hours, it's not gonna do anything for anybody. Um, so I think there's the whole difference between oc Health and Public Health. And I think that is one of the biggest, to me, one of the biggest causes of confusion that we're seeing. Because I, I, <clears throat> I can't see where anybody in an occupational health setting where they're um, exposing for eight hours or for a full shift is going to look at a cloth mask as a uh, level of protection. Now, you could allow it as an admit, uh, a, basically a PPE, a voluntary thing saying, hey, if you want to wear it, that's fine. Um, which still comes with some compliance requirements around it. But as far as if you're really looking to protect your workers from something, then uh, you're going to have to kick up the level of protection.
1: I agree with that completely. And we are seeing organizations start using reusable or or rewashable masks that are a fabric material. And there is a company I, I recall out of North Carolina that has a mask that can be washed up to 30 times, but it has a filtration efficiency rating on it. And that's really the key. Whatever it is, is to look at the filtration efficiency rating of that mask. And I don't want to discourage people from wearing a bandana, a t-shirt, you know, whatever, you know, homemade, right? I I agree completely when we're talking about public health versus occupational health. I'm with Carrie. I don't know in a work setting if that's probably the ideal situation, but it's better than nothing, right? (laughs)
2: Well, I mean, I think that, you know, the um, CDC revising their guidelines, you know, at first they didn't allow or didn't want anybody to wear a mask and they want us to wear a face cover. And I mean, there's just a lot of confusion and misinformation being put out in a lot of shifts in, in policy um, that that has I think, created a lot of this, this uh, you know, misunderstanding. Um, then you couple that with KN95s and ratings yeah. and then uh the emergency use authorization being revoked for all KN95s until uh there's uh you know NIOSH testing performed uh to understand what the filtration you know uh levels are um, has created even more confusion so there's a whole lot of uh, bad product that's, that's been authorized and now it's been revoked and all that stuff is flooding the market so it's, it's, it's really confusing for even someone that's in either a safety professional for sure or someone like myself that is in distribution that that has to understand what we're sourcing is correct and then we're selling what is correct. And the
0: other thing that's um, come to light when I've been, been listening and in- And reading, there is a lot of um, suppliers selling fake masks or masks that won't do anything, and so that really scares me. And and so I wanted, um, uh, particularly Lisa and Burke, because both of you are in this area of the industry. What should we be looking at when going out and trying to purchase masks and stuff?
1: It is so true. The the market is flooded. Uh, there's been a spark of entrepreneurialism that's happened, uh, and everybody's become a sourcing expert now uh, because of the uh, availability of these masks. And it's been a learning experience for me. I've I've been in the industry for almost 30 years, and this this has stretched my mind beyond what I've ever been asked to do before. And Burke brought up the point, you know, when you're, especially in distribution, uh, making sure that you have the the proper product, um, we have a big responsibility when we're we're recommending and sourcing product. So the KN95 is a perfect example. CDC came out and said it was suitable suitable initially, and the FDA said no, hold on a minute, and so there was some question about that. And, um, what's interesting about it is that, you know, at the basic level, the, the N95, which is the NIOSH rated mask that we have in the U S, uh, became very hard to get. And we all saw in the presidential briefings, you know, the, um, the scrutiny that 3M was put through and they're really the major supplier of these respirators. And so that prompted people to go out and look for alternatives alternatives like the KN95, which is the Chinese version, or the FFP2, which is the European version. And um, what we found is there were a lot of uh, manufacturers of those products in China that were buying and using other manufacturing facilities documentation in order to sell it and get it through customs. And the CDC recently came out and the European Safety Federation recently came out with a list of that documentation to watch out for. And it's rampant. And so we've got masks that might be giving an end user a false sense of security to be used. But in fact, the testing and the certification don't add up. And and our, um, our end users need to be aware of that when they're out shopping.
2: You know, I mean, that's really the biggest problem. You know, when the FDA removed all of the uh, EUA uh, validity of all the KN95s uh, because they'd gone through and done all the testing, they tested more than uh, 60 different uh, manufacturers and they had over a 60% failure rate. So there's just a lot of stuff that's coming in that's not valid. I would never promote, uh, or I don't think anyone should promote, uh, utilization of a KN95 in a healthcare setting. Uh, there's just too much of a, uh, a risk. Uh, now, for industry where they cannot get any N95s, it's a little more valid, uh, especially if you have NIOSH certifications for the KN95s, uh, which they're available. You can certainly go to the, the CDC's website and, and review the Appendix A authorized respirators that came out on May 20th. Uh, that would give you, uh, you know, valid KN95s and where they're manufactured and what their part numbers are. Those should be the ones that should be looked at for industry and possibly utilized if they really and truly need, uh, you know, uh, filtration down to uh, five microns. So, um, other than that, you know, we're seeing a lot of the end users or the, a lot of the refineries, chemical plants require all their uh, employees that are coming back to have some type of face cover. And that's going to be more for protecting, uh, other individuals against them being ill if they don't have really good screening, uh, processes, um, to, you know, try to weed out some of those that are. Symptomatic, obviously. With the, uh, it's hard to do temperature checks when they're asymptomatic. You don't know who's who's got it and who doesn't. So, um, it certainly is going to, I think, stop the spread as rapidly uh, by having a face cover. Uh, So, I think it's a good practice, um, but it's not going to be sufficient for you know actually providing respiratory protection against the virus.
0: What it really needs to be really clear to people is that masks are helping us to mitigate things. It's not an elimination. Right. And right. one of my frustrations as a health and safety professional is that I keep seeing people leap to the end of our hierarchy for a solution. And there's not a lot of starting at the beginning and like, well, how do I eliminate this from the environment? Engineer
2: out the hazard. Right. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, obviously, in construction sites, you see like watering trucks to keep dust down, uh, which is you know removing the the hazard, uh, or you see people doing wet cutting of uh, like masonry products and stuff like that to eliminate those those airborne particulate. So, should should certainly uh, correspond to some type of better filtration for uh, confined spaces or or you know, office areas where you're using HEPA filtration. Uh, to take out some of those particulate as well.
3: There are um, some uh, research out there that talk about different ventilation. Uh, So go into negative ventilation, go into different uh, things like that. Um, They talked about the meatpacking plants. And the reason that those um, had such high cases was because they specifically don't want air movement because of the refrigeration, right? So with no air movement, then, Basically, you have all those people crammed into there for you know, an entire shift, and it's easier to spread as opposed to if you were to draw the air out and get it more air movement, uh, then you could probably reduce some of the risk.
1: To follow up on, on your comment, uh, comment, Tamara, about um, the solution, the complete system that we need to look at, you're absolutely right. The mask alone is not enough. We really have to look at personal protection equipment as a whole. And again, if we're looking at a worker in an office building who's returning to work, and, and I, honest, I think these are guidelines we all should follow, because the fact of the matter is, until we have a vaccine, and until we have a rapid diagnostic test that has a high accuracy of quickly identifying that someone has it, um, until those two things happen, and then we have medication to treat people that actually get it, we really have to be diligent about uh, wearing a mask, staying six feet apart from one another, and washing our hands and using hand sanitizer frequently. So if we, if we take that into a work setting, you know, have employees stick to those basic guidelines, that should mitigate some of the, the concern. Um, it's not going to go away. We're going to be dealing with this for a while until we can, you know, check those three boxes as we have with other uh, viruses that have, you know, come into existence here. So, you know, we, we also talk about whether wearing gloves help will help the situation or not. And they could potentially, but if you think about wearing gloves, and then I, I think about going to a, a fast food, restaurant. And yeah, I noticed that the cashier has a pair of gloves on and then takes money. And I mean, if if you're touching surfaces, gloves aren't going to help. And same thing with the mask. And I've seen a lot of people out in public wearing masks where they don't have their nose covered, or they're, you know, they're touching the mask and really Uh, Even the CDC guidelines for healthcare workers around how long do you use an N95 mask, for example, if I take a break to eat lunch, if I store it in a paper bag and nobody touches it, is it still okay to use for the rest of my shift? We have to really educate people about limiting what they touch and including themselves and surfaces, because that's also going to help with keeping the transmission down.
2: Well, I think the CDC has also done themselves a disservice by, you know, saying that the virus lives on you know, stainless steel for three days and cardboard for 12 hours. And then they've come out now and said that, that there's almost been no transmission from surfaces. I don't know how they know that, but, you know, it's just, you know,
3: contradicting themselves.
1: I don't think they know. I think that's the problem with <laughs> Uh
3: Most safety professionals, right? We have guidance that we can go to um, and be able to build a plan based on a lot of different things, you know, things we've seen before, things other people have used, right, regulations that have been in place. Uh, This came at us. And uh, even though there's a lot of good information, specifically on masks and respirators, uh, that was there back when, you know, H1N1 and even before that, that a lot of these guidances really haven't changed on how to use a mask, how to care for a mask and things like that. But as far as how is it spreads and what is the best application to use to protect your people when they're coming back to work, um, I think we're drawn up short on specifically what
0: is the right thing to do. So, where do you go to get your information? Like, who do you trust? Who do you see as credible? And can you share that?
2: Face covers is a wild west. It There's is. really no. Credible source. Um, I do have one manufacturer that's doing some filtration testing on their product. It's like a multi band, um, <clears throat> it's made by Ergodyne. Is this fender in question? And they're actually doing some some testing to determine what the filtration levels will end up being. So, you know, any quantifiable data from a source is is going to you know give itself much more credibility mm-hmm. than just saying this is just a face cover. So, I mean, you've seen all these people pivot into manufacturing of face covers, like Hanes underwear, and uh, <laughs> on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to make any tacky jokes there, but no, it's it's it, it's just amazing at what's being put out there and how many different derivatives and you've got t-shirt masks, you've got fleece masks, you've got underwear masks, you've got uh, FR mask is another sector that's, it's really started to take off. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, there's no real known source. I would say that some are, are going to be better than others. Some are going to have multi-purposes that can be reused after uh, for like heat stress and other items but um, through face coverings I, I would not give any one particular style uh, a better rating over another.
0: But the N95s they they have a rating there's a credible organization that goes and puts a stamp on it and so you know to look for that there's nothing like that when it comes to a mask.
3: And because of that that that's our biggest clue that it has a very limited purpose, right? And that, is, and that needs to be stressed uh, with the workforce is, look, if it is voluntary, we at least have to let you know, look, there is no um, rating on it. The, there is no guarantee that you're not going to get uh, the transmission. The best it's going to do is protect others from you and to limit this size, you know, large, basically large droplets if you were to cough, uh, when you breathe and things like that—that's the extent of it. And as long as we go in knowing those limitations, right? Um, then you use it for what it's for, uh, and no more. Uh, and to me, that's no different than any other PPE, right? Spot on.
1: I, I also, I also think, from again, from a work perspective, I would not encourage uh, employees to use you know, homemade masks, or uh, if if I, as an employer, I would at the very least provide an ear loop mask that has Mm -hmm. a 92 to 95% uh, filtration efficiency. And that, that does offer a level of protection at a fairly economical, fairly easy uh, product to get. If you want to And I think we're seeing that in the universities and some of the, a lot of the companies are gearing up to return to work or return to learn, and you'll find earloop procedure masks on the list. Um, So I think as professionals, that's probably where I would go with it. Uh, And I think that they're, you know, fairly uh, available now and will be even more so. So that's where I would start.
3: Is that similar, Lori, is that similar to the surgical masks that we see?
1: Yeah. Yes. Surgical. Exactly. A surgical mask. um, And again, those have a a testing uh, component to them. Absolutely. The the dentist's office use them and uh, doctor's offices, right? So if the barbers and the hair salons and the nail stylists uh, use those, that will protect us as, you know, um, customers from having exposure to anything they would have?
2: I think that that procedure masks are are a good alternative. They're just disposable uh, and would require a lot of them to be available to, uh, you know, have donning and doffing and changing of those uh, every day for large workforces. So, and there is still a shortage Mm -hmm. of those, a considerable shortage. Um, I think it will improve as supply chain, you know, gets back together uh, and there's more sources domestically. Uh, we recently just found a new domestic source for those that we're shifting all of our stuff to uh, that's reasonably priced and, and is gonna be readily available to some levels. Um, but there's not gonna be the, you know, the millions needed uh, to outfit you know, large uh, you know, EPC construction projects. Um, so it's gonna be a challenge. Um, the supply chain is, is, you know, still not where it needs to be.
1: There are studies underway right now. Uh, Steris Corporation in Ohio is doing studies with the, I believe with the FDA or with um, one of the organizations around the possibility of um, sterilizing and, and running, you know, N95 masks through a cleaning process so that they can be reused. So there are studies being done again because of the shortage on the N95s they were looking at a way to validate a cleaning protocol to reuse them but that that nothing's come out in regards to that yet.
3: Yeah, and that's an important point is the only time i've seen them try to do it is because the hospitals were running out and had none. So is either come up mm-hmm. with something that you could sanitize it so it could be reused or send your people mm-hmm. out there with nothing on. So exactly. th- that's very different than it, if you have normal supply chains, then to me, it, it's it's designed to be a disposable uh, mask. And even CDC has guidelines on uh, how, when you should get rid of it and stuff like that. Because the other thing you can't tell uh, is, uh, is it affecting your breathing, right? Because it is a respirator and it does have resistance um, so, it, does the cleaning process affect that? You, I don't know, and I think that's going to be the hard thing, the hardest hurdle to get through if you try to do any kind of cleaning or sanitizing.
2: Well, yeah, and you also have to refer back to the manufacturer's guidelines like, so you don't yeah. incur any liability. And of and, and I mean, I'm looking at a question and answer session from FEMA, and they had some industry experts, particularly uh, 3M's expert on on disposable masks in a Q&A session. Uh, this was done last week. And, and uh, uh, they said, due to the scarcity, we are looking at decontamination methods for our N95s. Uh, what research is 3M doing on this? And their experts said, we have technical bulletin on the 3M.com coronavirus website that talks about decon- safe decontamination methods that don't damage filters or headbands. Mm-hmm. These respirators are designed to be disposable so bands can stretch out and the nose clips can uh, become fatigued if workers can't get good seals, they shouldn't use it anymore. Mm-hmm. So basically saying don't do it
1: <laughs> right,
2: Of course they are. That's the only thing they're selling right now, so that's,
3: <laughs> I, from a liability standpoint too, it's there's no guarantees, so I would take that stance always.
0: yeah, where i'm I'm seeing this, I think it came from um, up here in Canada, the Montreal. Uh, public transit was announcing reusable face masks to be distributed for for their drivers, and so I I, th- I think this may be a Canadian thing because you guys are all in the states, right? Yes,
2: yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So yeah. I th-
0: I think maybe this might be a um, a different country thing that I'm hearing about it up here about people using the, re, the reusable, they call them the reusable face mask.
3: Have so to you're see not them, but seeing I mean, that
0: down there. Yeah.
3: Well, to me, it reminds me of the cloth ones, right? You can mm-hmm. reuse cloth. The CDC says, here's how you care for them when you wash them and everything like that. Um, and that's directly from their website. But uh, again, there's limitations on what is it that they're actually doing for the person.
0: Uh-huh. And so I guess that's another thing to be mindful when you're looking at resources, there's a lot different things being said even globally in different countries.
3: Well, we're also not privy to the company's policy on what assessments have been done, right? What determinations have they made and what protections have they put in, in place for their workers? So mm-hmm. to, in order to say, is this the right thing for a bus driver or whatever, I'd have to see that, you know, seminal work to say, okay, I see why you did what you did and how you came to this determination, and now we can have a conversation. But until that happens, uh, it's tough for me to look on the outside in uh, without having that information and try to say they made the right call or didn't make the right call.
0: And that's a very good point that I think that we should expand on is that you know? Just because we're seeing it being done somewhere else exactly. doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work in our work place. So maybe we could kind of un- unpack that a little bit.
1: Sure. And th- again, the way that we're approaching it is as a complete solution rather than uh, individually. So depending on really the. Uh, type of environment it is. So for example, we're working with, you know, many of the major universities uh, as they're putting together their return to learn programs or to bring their researchers back on campus to, to resume their work. Um, they're doing their part on the distancing guidelines. So they may split shifts and have, instead of having 30 people working eight to five, they might have 15 coming in early and 15 coming in later. And then from there, um, taking a look at what they're doing and what the, the level of um, interaction with other employees would be. So if you, you're going into work and you're in an office where there's no one else or there's one other person and there's a distance between you, Um, then, you know, looking at an ear loop mask is probably, you know, a surgical mask is probably just fine uh, in that type of an office environment. Um, We also are noticing a lot of companies putting hand sanitizer stations up uh, throughout the buildings. So there are a lot of opportunities to uh, use hand sanitizer throughout the day as well. So um, as far as masks go, Um, we, so KN95s are not an option. I agree with Burke and you, Carrie, as well that, I mean, we're not, we're not seeing KN95s used necessarily. Uh, however, there are, are people that are making the determination themselves. And I think that's a really important point. Uh, you know, the customers ultimately make that decision, uh, as they're writing their guidelines to come back to work. And N95s are really hard to get a hold of. Uh, so getting a, a KN95, you know, may be the best alternative. Um, and if they're not a healthcare worker, then it's probably not an issue. So we're, we're taking the guidance from our customers as far as what should be in that return to work package. Hand sanitizer, uh, ear loop mask, um, you know, even sticker proper labeling for the floors you know, what does six feet look like and where do you put those throughout the facility to make sure, uh, similar to the yellow tape in the, in the manufacturing plant, where you stay in this area. Um, you know, making sure that lunch, lunch hours are extended and, and that you have multiple opportunities to uh, spread out. Um, the, the masks have not been straightforward though. Um, healthcare without a doubt, have asked for N95s. We've shipped thousands of them to hospitals and to even to the labs. Um, you know, the, the people that are collecting the samples, you know, that are wearing isolation gowns and face shields. And we didn't talk about face shields either. I mean, if you're in direct contact with fluids, then an N95 mask may not even be enough. It may require a face shield as well. So we're really basing it on the work environment and the type of work that's being done to determine the level of protection they need.
2: We interact primarily with um, large construction projects, uh, aerospace. So we supply uh, the airline industry, uh, which is a whole different can of worms. you know, it runs the gamut. So you know, the airlines are using a procedure mask, making sure all, their, uh, all the customers are, are wearing a procedure mask to get on a flight, or at least the three majors are, are doing so. Um, I just read an article this morning about it, and they weren't going to enforce uh, they'll make the person wear the procedure mask onto the plane, but then the staff would not enforce the utilization of it while they are on the plane which makes zero sense, but <laughs> the airlines do quite yeah. a bit of things that, that don't make any sense. You know, it, it runs the gamut. So we're seeing uh, large um, construction projects being required by the client to use face covers to be on their premises. Uh, so it's almost like uh you know, client mandate on what's being utilized uh, and they really don't tell them what they want them to use. They just tell them they have to use something. So, um, I don't know that some of it's just, uh, you know, a, a, to give everybody a false sense of security or a band aid to make it appear that they're uh, doing what they can to keep the workers safe. Um, I mean, really, a respirator would be the only way to really provide better mm-hmm. protection. And I think that uh, the CDC, not, you know, of course, they can't mandate it because there, there's no N95s available. Um, I mean, it, it's almost impossible to to get any any level of support or, or you know supply chain on them, um, and there's no good communication from the, the major manufacturers um, who we are working with uh, extensively, and um, it's it's very frustrating, and you know uh, there's no good solution except for to offer alternate pro you know face covers and or KN95s. That's that's really where we are. Or, or to pivot towards a half mask, which we've seen a lot of, a lot of, uh, healthcare as well as, uh, industry shift to, uh, because there is a little bit better supply chain on those, but th- those are, they're not a whole lot better. Um, so it's, it's something's better than nothing at that point.
3: The, the biggest thing is to look at it. Uh, like Lisa said, is, uh, is a whole program, right? So it, after the assessment's done is determined, is it required or not? And if it is required, then a lot of things kick in, right? You have to have the written programs and you have to have the assessment done and you have to have the training and you have to have the care and use and you have to have the, the actual, um, do we use a single type or do we use different types? And uh, all of those things come into play if it is a required thing. Um, and e- e- so I'd be interested so even on the procedure masks, right? Which um, they're not a respirator. Um, so right. I would think the mask doesn't kick in the respiratory protection program. I wouldn't think, but I just want to clarify yeah, that. Yeah. So, uh, but if you're if you're requiring N95s or or the equivalent, or higher, right? Because there's a whole slew of different ones other than 95. Um, those are considered respirators, according to OSHA, and those do kick in requirements. Even if they're voluntary mm-hmm. use, if they're considered a respirator, there are other regulatory requirements that kick in. So the biggest thing is just making sure that you're looking at it as an entire program and not just saying, hey, let's supply these for our people and be done.
2: Tamara, I think you made a really good point um, that the the safety professional should really be looking at the hierarchy of controls and and trying to engineer out the hazards as much as possible, first and foremost. Uh, And then that would totally mitigate having to utilize this or stand up a program, respiratory protection program, and go through all those litany of of issues to get that
0: done. Thank you. No, I'm glad that you brought that back up because that I'm very passionate about that, about us um, going to that first pivotal point on that hierarchy of control. And Lisa, did you have any thoughts you wanted to add?
1: Well, the, the one thing that I, I think is very important for anybody that's in a decision-making position on a respiratory program and a return-to-work program is to really vet what you're buying and make sure that what you buy is what, it, what it, it's being represented as and um again you know there's a lot of crafty people out there that are looking to make money and so you uh, you can go online and find an N95 or a KN95 or an FFP2 that is a respirator and the paperwork looks perfect and in fact it's not so it, we have to be very very diligent to make sure that we're working with a manufacturer um, or a distributor that's working with a manufacturer, like Burke said, where where they vetted that manufacturing plant out, and it's somebody that's reputable and stands behind the product. And the the only other thing that I would mention is um, I think there's a false sense of security that you know we're hitting the plateau and we're flattening the curve and. Um, we do need to be diligent with our employees about making sure that we're following the guidelines until we've, we've accomplished what we need to accomplish with beating this. So, um, daily reports of numbers going down are great, but fall will come around and and this isn't something that's going to have an end. It's going to be something we're going to have to uh, adjust and be agile to, um, make, you know, make some changes as this comes back around.
0: No, absolutely. That's very good points that we are going to adjust and have to keep changing it up, looking for how can we improve things. It's not it's never going to end. And I think what's also worth really mentioning here is just like when you're looking for where should you get credible, um, reliable information to be sharing out. It's the same thing about who are you going to to get your PPE and your protective Devices from. You don't want to just go onto Amazon or go to the first person who has something cheap to offer. This is not a time to kind of switch it up to get a deal. You know, go to those who you've trusted, who you know do their due diligence. And that's like what I like about Safety Network is that you guys bring that to, to the table. So I was hoping, Burke and Lisa, you could talk a little bit about. Um, Safety Network and the value of being part of that for our listeners.
2: Safety Network is an affiliation of uh, distributors, manufacturers, and end users, which is the the biggest differential between us and other similar uh, buying groups is that we're forward-facing to the end user and trying to help educate them. We also have an entire training program uh, that is the safety equipment expert training program that requires 150 hours of training to ensure that uh, the sales staff that are working for these distributors uh, are knowledgeable and understand the standards and how to apply them and make sure that the end users are getting the correct equipment. Um, so that's really industry changing and, and, and provides a whole lot of value uh, at no cost to the end users and, and allows them to deal with reputable companies that are um, you know safety equipment experts and can help make sure that they're getting the right equipment and it's been vetted and um, they don't have to second guess um, what their source is what their source is doing so um, it's been a very rewarding uh, affiliation for our organization um, I, uh, I am currently the chairman of the, of the board for the safety network so uh, I've been working uh, on the board for the last five years so it's it's uh, it's it's a fantastic group.
1: Well said, Burke. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank, thank you. And, and, uh, yeah, very well said. Um, and it, it does provide a huge advantage uh, to us because, uh, in, in our case, we have we have thousands of different customers that are doing different things, and this gives us a great resource being a member, where we can go to um, the the experts in the industry and share knowledge and look for best practices and uh, find out about manufacturers that have a value that we may want to bring into our portfolio and vice versa. And we really take safety, health and safety very seriously and the products that we sell and the manufacturers that we work with to make sure that our customers are being offered the best possible solution and Safety Network provides us with the ability to do that.
3: We, we provide uh, safety EHS software. Uh, And we work with, uh, for example, healthcare, and one of the biggest things they're doing right now is uh, trying to manage a fit test program for over 10,000 employees, right? So we're using it to, uh, are people fit tested? What kind of uh, respirators are they being applied? Uh, What sizes? And then using that information to help manage their supply chain to say, hey, these are the most common ones. These are the ones that are doing this kind of work. So, I mean, uh, so I think with any, anytime you can get a partner instead of a vendor, then you're better off, whether mm-hmm. it's software, whether it's hardware, whether it's anything um, to, you, to where you're going to get some industry expertise that's going to help you make decisions beyond, um, you, know, the, the, you know, what you already know. So I think having that extra expertise, um, and especially like like Burke said, uh, it's no cost to the end user. So why not go with a partner instead of a vendor?
1: And when when things happen like this, this is this is when you want want your partners Absolutely. to step up, and you know that you've selected the right partner when they're facing this lockstep with you to find solutions
2: appreciate being invited to participate and, and certainly uh, I think this is a really timely subject and it needs to uh, get out to the uh, uh, the safety professionals and the end users more importantly uh, and I think that's really what Safeopedia does is gives us much greater uh, ability to reach the end users and 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 get them the, the, the right information
0: thank you so much everybody for joining us today thank you
3: well thank you Thank you.
0: Thank you. Nice meeting all of you.
3: Same here. Thank you. Nice to meet
2: you.
0: Well, I hope that you enjoyed that episode. It was a lot of great information shared. And we also have a lot of great resources from this episode over on our show notes. So navigate over to safepedia.com and under podcast you can find the notes from this episode. Every single one of the people who joined us today, Burke, Carrie, and Lisa, they have all shared some really great resources and you can find them on the show notes. Now, have you registered yet for our Safety Connect Virtual Conference Expo? Again, it's free to attend. So please go to industryconnectsafety.com and register now. Are you looking for some great safety resources to share out with your team? Webinars, Q&As, and articles? We've got you covered at saferpedia.com. Please come and join us and share out the resources. They're free for everybody. Until next time, stay safe.